0: This is the Whatever is True podcast with Mike Williams, and I'm here with my co-host, Pastor Raymond Gregory. So, Philippians 4.8 is really the inspiration for this podcast. In it, it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true. And then it goes on to list several other things, but this is at the end of Paul's letter to the Philippians, and he's letting us know what we should be thinking about. He says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just— Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Interestingly, when he makes his similar list, he's listing the uh, pieces of armor when he's writing to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 6. He said the, the very first piece of armor in the list is the belt of truth the very first line in his list of things to focus on is whatever is true. When Jesus came, he said, I came to testify to the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth, the importance of truth cannot be overstated, which is interesting in a time period in which there's so much misinformation and it's so difficult to find the truth and everyone seems to be able to justify why they're willing to lie or not tell the truth. It seems all the more important for us as believers to focus on whatever is true and to think about whatever is true. So the purpose of this podcast is to help Christians to think biblically. I want them to love God with their heart, yes, with their soul, yes, with all their strength, absolutely, but also with their mind, because that's what the Lord says to do in Mark twelve thirty. But I think it's one of those things that we often— forget about in Christianity or we dismiss for whatever reason. So this podcast is titled Discipleship is Not the Answer. Pastor Raymond, what do you think? Discipleship is not the answer. Have I lost my mind?
1: Uh, Yes, I think so. (laughs) Well, that depends on what you mean by discipleship. If if you're talking about discipleship, how Jesus intended discipleship and how he made disciples, then uh, you're a heretic, Well, then if you're you're talking about the system in which we've devised, or what we tend to call discipleship, when really what we're meaning is something different, then I think you're on point.
0: Well, I appreciate you assuming the best about my my intentions here, but discipleship is not the answer, uh, and and Pastor Raymond's right, but you're going to have to stick around to the end of the podcast if you want my full answer Mm -hmm. on uh, why I'm against discipleship, but... Really, a lot of it comes down to this new study that was put out by Barna in conjunction with the Arizona Christian University, but the study is super disturbing. I've read several articles on it, all citing the statistics in this uh, study that Barna did, but here's the gist of it. Uh, 88% of youth pastors do not have a biblical worldview. So I do not want my kids or anyone really being discipled by somebody that doesn't have a biblical worldview. And this this really comes back to a conversation I had when I was, I was trying to figure out, as a guy who loves biblical worldview stuff, and I work at a church and I'm trying to figure out what's the best way to integrate biblical worldview training into a church setting. So I was meeting with a guy who's taken some seminary classes, and I was discussing this with him, and... Basically, he gently reproved me by saying uh, biblical worldview stuff really doesn't have a place in Christianity prior to discipleship happening. He's saying the the focus should be on discipleship, not on biblical worldview training. And that uh, set me back for a moment because I was thinking, well, I don't think he's wrong. I I understand discipleship is incredibly important, but where does it where, what's its proper place? And I would say that biblical worldview training should precede discipleship. So Jesus' disciples spent about three years with him, and then he sent them out. So they obviously the, the New Testament was being written as they were living it. But their biblical training, their understanding of the Old Testament, their understanding of who Jesus is—which is what our understanding of the New Testament is—came from spending time with Jesus. But they had some training before they went out. If we just, if we take every new believer and we don't apply even what we do to our elders, which for an elder you need to um, have been saved for a portion of time before you should should start serving as an elder. Uh, if we take people and just throw them right into discipleship, you're like, hey, the most important thing you can do as a Christian is disciple. Now get out there and go disciple. But according to statistics, 88% of youth pastors don't hold a Christian worldview. And according to the same study, 37% of senior pastors do not hold a biblical worldview. Now, I don't think that's true of our senior pastor, but only 37% of pastors are holding to a biblical worldview. So I would say our issue should not be focused on discipleship <laughs> because disciples is, is making little versions of ourselves or at least trying to get them to emulate something in our lives or the, in the way that we are emulating Christ. But prior to discipleship, we should probably have some sort of knowledge. So biblically, biblical illiteracy is off the charts. People have no idea what the Bible says and yet they're excited to make disciples of my children. I don't want a youth pastor without a biblical worldview. Discipling my kids?
1: No, not at all. Uh, see, see, the problem is, I think we we lose what the word disciple means, I and mean, it's the root word of discipline. So that's that's what the root of it is. Uh, the, the Greek word literally means apprentice. It's one who engages in learning through instruction from another person or another way of like. If you're a disciple, you're a pupil. You're literally a student. Uh, someone who is trying to become like the master. And when we say, I want to be discipled, or I want to disciple others, I think we're missing the mark on what Jesus has called us to do. He calls us to make disciples. He doesn't call us to necessarily uh, make disciples unto ourselves. Mm -hmm. Every person that is a Christian who has been justified by faith in Jesus, uh, is a disciple of Jesus Christ, and so somebody might say, "Oh, so and so, you know, Bob or or Jim or whoever uh, is discipling me." There's there's a problem there because you should be one who is engaged and learning from Christ. You're a disciple of Christ. That's everything that the apostles said. They they weren't disciples of Paul. They weren't disciples of Peter. Peter was the oldest. They weren't disciples of Peter. Even after Jesus ascended, they all considered themselves disciples of Jesus. Even Paul says, I'm a servant of Christ. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so, he's basically passing down what Christ said. So, to divorce yourself of a biblical worldview in discipleship Mm-hmm. Is to completely miss the mark on discipleship altogether because all your job is in making apprentices in the faith is being a conduit for what Jesus said, and so the the best thing you can do to disciple another person or make disciples is probably the better way to put it is to give them an affinity, a love, and um, a discipline in reading the word of God and applying the word of God through the Holy spirit to their lives. Amen. A- apart from that, uh, you're just making little mini me's basically. Mm-hmm. Oh, do as I do. No, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Everything else, leave it on the table.
0: Yeah. And I think that's really good points of clarification. You made several good points there, but one is nobody is perfect. So if we have to, be perfect like Christ in order to have disciples, then why would God have told us to go make disciples? Of of course, we're supposed to make disciples of Christ, try to get people to follow Christ, but it's difficult to uh, encourage people to walk somewhere where we haven't walked. So we say, you should want to be like Christ, but I have no idea what Jesus did or how he lived or what the Bible says, but you should definitely try to be like Jesus. That's super cool. Like, so you're wanting me to walk somewhere where you've never walked. You don't find the Bible to be important enough to learn it. So you want me to emulate Christ, but the Bible says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. How can I become like the truth, which is Christ? How can I become like him if I don't even know what the Bible says? So that's why I think discipleship is important. So you heard me say it. Discipleship is important, but I don't think we're doing it in the proper order right now. I think discipleship comes... With or after you've began to learn what the Bible says, or at least being taught by someone who knows what the Bible says, so otherwise you end up with just kind of an idol factory. You have versions of Christ that you've come up with. You go, I think the Bible probably says this somewhere, so I'm just going to justify it. I bet the Bible just says God wants me to be happy for the rest of my life, or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, and you go, that's no, you're, you're misunderstanding <laughs> what Christ has for you. Um, by thinking
1: there's um uh you know philippians 1 6 says you know we are confident of this that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to see it to completion until the day of jesus christ uh well who began the good work in you is it jim and bob who's discipling you mm-hmm. no he just told you the good news hopefully and called you to repentance and to get, make jesus the lord of your life christ is the one who began a good work in you and we'll be faithful to see it to completion The problem is uh we're substituting making disciples with forming disciples in our image and i why do you think it is that we can have people who carry the title of pastor but then not have a baseline understanding of what a biblical worldview is like how did we get here in 2022 You were a youth pastor. Right. So, I mean, you have more authority on this than I do. I I was a youth group person at one point, you know. You were youthful at one point. I was youthful. (laughs) What I lack in youth, I make up for in in maturity. (laughs) Uh, Since I'm a musician, uh, you automatically stop aging and maturing the moment you start to tour or start to play music for people. It's like this... It's like forever young. I want to be forever young. That's how you become forever. Peter Pan. Immature. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yes. Youth pastors have the exact same struggle for sure, because we want them to relate to our kids so well that they become or hold on to their immaturity for longer than they should. I think we almost encourage it. We're like, Hey, goof around, have fun, make sure the kids have fun. You're going to have to think like the kids in order to uh, get them entertained. So yeah, I think there's a, there's definitely there's a thousand different issues we're looking at here, but there's definitely too much focus on relatability rather than um, are they well-trained. But I think a lot of this comes back to the home. So we're supposed to train up a child. And it's funny you, I'll come back to that, the train up a child, but it's funny you, you asked that question because I have it written down as one of the questions I'm planning to ask you. So, But uh, we're supposed to train up a child in the way that they're to go and when they're, when they're old, they do not depart from it. That the training is actually supposed to happen in the home. So I think if the Bible does not matter to your parents, your kids know it because you don't know the Bible. You're not reading the Bible. You don't go to a church that uh, focuses on the importance of knowing the Bible. You don't go to a church who sends their uh, Bible teachers to seminaries that care about the Bible and you go, well, but my kids should really care about the Bible. Well, you're supposed to train them up. So if you really care about the Bible, then regardless of what youth pastor you're sending your kid to, your kid will care more about the Bible because they're seeing how much it matters to you. So I think biblical worldview training, like most things in the church, starts at home. That's why God put us into families, because dads have that responsibility to be the spiritual head of their home. So you train up a child in the way they should go. When they're old, they... It's not a promise, but it is uh, a principle that they won't depart from it. So how did we get to a place then where even our pastors are void of a biblical worldview? I think some of it comes down to uh, expecting the church to do things that you're supposed to do, paying others to do ministry for you. But also I think it comes down to a combination of lies, deception, and confusion, and uh, In other words, Satan has been busy doing his best to confuse people. So how do you get to a place where pastors are void of a biblical worldview? I'd say there's a whole bunch of problems, but you're a church history buff. So I don't know if you want to speak into that right now, but I'd love to hear from your perspective. I've heard from some others like uh, Nancy Piercy, who wrote a book called Total Truth on how the church has gotten to where it is, but it's kind of at an anti-intellectual place. And I think some of that anti-intellectualism, the anti-biblical worldview training idea comes from uh, this history of misunderstanding how much God wants us to engage with our minds. We've switched it over to a a heart relationship rather than a heart, mind, soul, and strength relationship. And so um, if you take away a person's ability to think within the church by presenting a few Misconceptions or lies, uh, then I think it's very easy to convince people of almost anything uh, since they don't know what the Bible says, they're just going to follow whoever's you know exciting and interesting in the pulpit,
1: yeah, so you mentioned church history back during the Reformation, uh, obviously, obviously, Luther was calling people back to biblical literacy, like personal mm-hmm. biblical literacy. And he found that uh, during the Reformation, he was hosting these dinner parties at his home. And they started to grow. And so, there were a lot of younger men coming to this, these dinner parties. And so, in a sense, he <laughs> kind of had a youth ministry, uh, unofficial. And it's interesting because his, his answer wasn't to condescend to their level. It was to pull them up to his level But even more so, he saw a greater need in the church for fathers to teach their family. And um, so, there was always uh, what was called a large catechism, which was the job of the church, right? To catechize to people, uh, to to train people, in a sense, in uh, theology, in doctrine, and in things like that. But he started to realize uh, this can't be the job of a professional. This has to be the job of a father. And so, he wrote what he called uh, his small catechism. And the purpose of the small catechism was to make simple and easy to understand the things of doctrine and theology in order for these young men to then turn and teach their families. Uh, there was a, an article by the Gospel Coalition called Why We Need Youth Ministry. And Dr. Vodi Bauckham takes basically an opposite stance on youth ministry. He takes an opposite stance on a lot of things. Uh, he doesn't believe that a church should have any more than one service, because once you have more than one service, you have two churches in one church, which I don't know if I agree with that. But so he, he tends to be uh, hyperbolic in his mm-hmm. approach to things that he disagrees with. But uh, when he speaks on youth ministry, he is actually against having what he calls a youth ministry in a church. He thinks that children and, and, and fathers and mothers uh, should all be in the service together. And then it is the job of the father to break down and make it easy for the kids to understand what's happening at home. And in the article, uh, they claim that youth ministry is really modeled after the Hebrew model of apprenticeship because they claim, and this was the case with Jesus. I mean, they often called him teacher or rabbi, right? Because he was an older, you know, he's in his thirties. So, he was a mature adult. Wasn't an old adult, but he was a mature adult. Mm -hmm. And he took on apprentices who happened to be, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old. So, they were young. And so, in the article, they said, this is an example of youth ministry. See? And so, if it's good enough for Jesus, well, it should be good enough for us. Well, a few problems there. Your youth pastor is not Jesus, number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and number two, um, adulthood in in the Hebrew, uh, in, in the time of Jesus, in, in uh, uh, before the early first century, was 13 and 14 years old. And so, you had these 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 young men who were already in the marketplace, they were fishermen, you know, tax collectors, all these things. Uh, They're already working. They weren't mature adults, but so they they weren't really youth, you know, in a youth ministry. Mm -hmm. And so to look at Jesus and say, oh, Jesus had a youth ministry. And this this is the way we we export our teaching and our catechism to another man. Mm -hmm. And so what Luther said is like, no, 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 it is a job of the people in your care. I mean, even in Ephesians, it shows out, Paul lays out in Ephesians chapter five, the order, you know, christ is the head of man man is the head of woman and so on and so forth mm-hmm. and so if you are emulating paul's method you know imitating me as i imitate christ okay. uh the father the man of the household should be the pastor of the household he should be the one catechizing catechizing Is that, that's how you say it right i think that's right catechizing sounds like a funny word right
0: yeah let's let we'll just let the cat teaching start.
1: his kids <laughs> yeah
0: yeah, I agree with that. Um, well, yeah. So Vodi, I don't know if I'd be as dogmatic as him. I really appreciate him because he uh, is is convinced of what he's convinced of, and uh, and uh, willing to do whatever is necessary to follow through with the truth. That's what I appreciate about him. I, I don't think the the Bible is dogmatic on whether a world uh, whether we should have youth groups or not. So I'm not sure. Uh, that I would take a hard stand, but as a leader of a church, if that's the direction he feels led, I think that's okay for him to go that way. But uh, So bringing it back a little bit, uh, to summarize this podcast because we're kind of all over the place and there's so many interesting topics and we'll we'll delve into all, all of these at different points in future podcasts. But what is it that we are focusing on today? Because whatever is true. So whatever is true is, number one, uh, that discipleship, yes, it is important. But discipleship uh, needs to be done in a biblical manner. So the biblically ignorant leading others in how to understand the Bible from their ignorant standpoint is not a great discipleship model. So we should probably get people reading their Bibles and uh, understanding what their Bible says and means before they start leading others and training others. So oftentimes uh I know all churches are probably guilty of this, but you don't have a uh, children's ministry teacher that day in one of the classrooms. So you just say, can anyone fog a mirror? Okay. You're the teacher today. And uh, that's who's teaching our future generation. And if 37% of the pastors are biblically illiterate, I can't imagine what the percentage of uh, people training the children are Uh, not just the youth ministers, but so forth. So I think uh, focusing on getting people to read their Bibles is probably a really good one. So whatever is true, the truth is that we should be focusing on reading our Bibles. Um, specifically, whether a church should have a youth group or not, um, I think is up to the the individual church to figure that out. But uh, a couple points I think we'll bring up in in a future podcast. Uh, so here's your preview. Uh, number one. So the the first lie that I think causes people. Uh, to become biblically illiterate, or one of the lies, if you want to do it, is uh, biblical literacy is not valuable. It is not valuable to know your Bible. I think whether people say it, it's acted as if it's not important because we don't typically care whether, whether our leaders can pass some sort of doctrinal statement. If you can entertain me, you can keep the kids happy, you can be our youth pastor. And it's not much different for some churches in choosing a senior pastor. Uh, Number two lie uh, that people believe, which leads to biblical illiteracy. God is anti-education or anti-reasoning or anti-intellectual, however you wanna look at it. And I think they'll usually cite things like childlike faith or blind faith or knowledge puffs up, so why would you want to know anything? So I think that's a really poor misunderstanding Of scripture, and there's all sorts of scriptures that we could look at that talk about the importance of our minds being transformed and loving God with our minds, and so forth and so on. But I want to end with this because I started with saying uh, discipleship is not a good idea, but I do think discipleship is a good idea. Just, uh, you know, go therefore and make disciples, is one of the last things Jesus said in Matthew 28 19 through 20. And I think we should be doing that and we should be making disciples of Jesus. And we don't have to be perfect before we can make disciples, but we should at the very least be doing the things we expect disciples to do. So if we're ignorant of the Bible, that means we're not reading the Bible. And I don't want to train people to follow Jesus without reading their Bibles because you're just going to come up with some strange version of Jesus. So Get into the word, uh, stop listening to so many podcasts. You can turn this one off and just go read the Bible for a little while. What do you think, Pastor Raymond?
1: I think podcasts are, are fun to listen to because we can pontificate about things of God without actually diving into things of God. Uh, sometimes, you yeah, know. Yeah. Uh, although the, the there's a, a lot of good podcasts out there that are That's true. teaching doctrine and stuff like this. And I think this is an important conversation to have. Um, we could go another hour easy and so, we will. Now, uh, here's, here's what I think, and to, to kind of piggyback off just what you said, uh, there was a chaplain of the U.S. Senate, his name was Richard Halverson, and he said, in the beginning, the church was a fellowship of men and women centered on the living Christ. Hmm. Then the church moved to Greece, where it became a philosophy. Then it moved to Rome, where it became an institution. Next, it moved to Europe, where it became a culture. And finally, it moved to America, where it became an enterprise. Wow! Now that is—he's this is a chaplain of the U.S. Senate, and so he's he's seen how we've made an enterprise out of the church. And we both grew up in the '90s. Mm-hmm. Um, we went to church in the '90s, and I think every every generation has their version of the church in America, especially as an enterprise, and it morphs into different things. I think our the Boomer generation created churches I, I call them the CEO pastor generation. Churches became very corporate looking. We all had coffee shops. We had bookstores. Uh we started, you know, selling T shirts and you know, that that was the, the big boom of of the Christian t shirt, you mm-hmm. know? Yep. Uh all the all the popular bumper stickers you know instead of rhesus it says Jesus but it's in the same style as rhesus I actually went to at my old, my old church uh, to our bookstore and at, at at the checkout stand there were testaments there were mints yes, I remember those themed they're Testaments it they're just dro- mints it, it
0: draws you closer to the Lord to have a mint <laughs> Testament
1: to t- um, Testament and then like you know as much as I love veggie tales you know it's like Christian programming so uh in the 90s that was like the the CEO pastor Mm -hmm. with big corporations, large staffs, all these kind of things. Then uh, I think the millennial generation kind of saw that and said, okay, now we have big crowds. It started, there was a tipping point into the celebrity pastor. Hmm. Now it was a way to be cool, bring it, you know, and to, to garner influence. And it was also in the advent of Facebook and Instagram. And so you had people becoming, popular on, on those platforms. So now the celebrity pastor, the problem with the celebrity pastor is uh, to be popular, you have to say popular things. Good point. Right. And to get a bigger following in the name of reaching more people for Jesus, mm-hmm. you have to start saying either outlandish things, outrageous things, or just popular things. You have to become well-versed in the culture, which is fine. We should be versed in, and understand the culture. But what starts to happen is uh, we start having entire sermon series about movies. Mm-hmm. We have entire, and, and this spills into youth ministry because uh, all kids are concerned with is what's popular. And so we want to reach kids. We need to be more concerned with what's popular. And so we're going to start chasing after that. And now what I see starting to happen is, a, is another shift in, the, in Gen Z and i i call it the activist pastor so we had the ceo pastor who built the enterprise we have the millennial pastor who made it into a platform to become famous and now kind of like we're doing right now kind of like what we're doing right now we're millennials so that's why we're doing it Uh, but then now you have this next generation who is like you said all heart and when you're all heart, which is, you should have heart. Absolutely. You are entirely focused on activism and you see the Bible through a lens of activism. And when you start to do that, you start to mix in sociology. And and then there's a, there's a tipping point on the scale where sociology becomes more important than biblical literacy hmm. and doctrine. You can start saying, and you start seeing things like this. Well... The bible did it really say that homosexuality is a sin because my heart says that they should you know love is love they uh, should be able to get married all these things exactly
0: right? so the authority is equal in your mind the authority of the bible and the authority of your heart mm-hmm. are you know in a war with one another yeah where that should never be the case the, yeah. the bible is the authority and your heart is deceitful above all else and occasionally it aligns with the Bible, but every other time you should probably ignore it. But we're at a different place in the church. I think a lot of people feel, so they say, well, that my, I feel like doing this. You go, well, that's irrelevant. <laughs> Mostly, it's irrelevant. You're like, but I don't feel like it. Like, and? But if God tells you to do it, like Jonah didn't want to do what he was told to do. He didn't feel like it. Moses didn't feel like doing what he was supposed to do. God's not saying, well, how, how are your feelings today? Mm. If your feelings feel like obeying the Word of God and uh, obeying truth and seeking truth, then uh, that's the only time I want you to do it. But if you don't feel like it, please stay in bed today. Don't read your Bible. Don't come to church. Just do whatever you want. Uh, feelings are extremely misleading, for sure. I, I love that you pointed that out. If I was going to sum up what you were saying, a little bit of what you were saying, and maybe even the point of this podcast as we're as we're going here in seminary terms— I would probably say uh, good orthopraxy comes from good orthodoxy. Yeah. So for those that uh, don't like silly terms like that and haven't been to seminary or whatever, uh, what you believe determines how you act. That's a nice, simple way of putting it. So if you believe it's a good idea to read your Bible, then you will read your Bible. If you're not reading your Bible, it's probably because you don't think it's a priority. But the Bible needs to be a priority. So biblical worldview training, however you want to term it, it's important for people to understand their Bibles if they're going to live what the Bible says. So rather than seeing biblically illiterate people leading other people, I would love to see people in love with the Word of God and helping other people fall in love with God's Word so that they can understand this world that we're living in and they can find truth which is only found in jesus and in his word
1: yeah for those orthodox just basically means conforming to what is traditionally accepted as true Mm. and we get christian orthodox by what jesus said he says i am the truth absolutely i am the truth and so orthopraxy so orthodoxy is conforming to what is true not deciding what is true but conforming you know be transformed by the renewing of your mind Mm -hmm. uh you know conform yourself to what jesus said and then uh orthopraxy is now that requires something in me so if orthodoxy is uh i've been justified i've been forgiven i'm making jesus lord of my life orthopraxy is now it's time for sanctification to do its work Hmm. and i think that's where we miss the mark in discipleship is we are all called to sink sanct- to be sanctified to be whole- to be set apart to be more and more like jesus you know second corinthians 3 18 um those who have had the veil removed can see orthodoxy and reflect orthopraxy the glory of god as we are transformed from one degree of glory to the next degree of glory or some translations say as we are transformed more into the image of the glorious christ that's that's what our goal should be in discipleship. Mm-hmm. Exactly what you said. Orthodoxy, orthopraxy.
0: Amen. All right, I think that's it for our first podcast. Next week, we'll be hearing from Pastor Raymond on why he thinks uh, everyone, I don't know, I was going to say something outlandish.
1: I'll list for you the uh, the top 25 Batman films and you were like, "Wait, twenty five? Yeah, because the animated films are included in that." So, so for if you that. could, if you could see my office, I have one, two, I have three Batman Funko Pops. I have one, two, three, four Batman mugs. I have a Batman drawing. I have a Batman playing card. I have two Batman playing cards, and I have a Batman tattoo. I have a Batman symbol. You know, one of the the signals. Don't I have your arm from from the uh from the Adam west days that is the that is the uh Shakespeare head that pops open and you push the button and it calls Batman wow so I have the authority on this so you can learn Batman orthodoxy
0: so what you're saying is we should have a video podcast next time so if you want yeah to-
1: <laughs> if you wanna really know <laughs> what a nerd I am
0: all right thanks for listening. we hope that you are dwelling on whatever is true and that you fall more in love with Jesus as a result of spending time with him. Have a good week.